Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 to 3. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. It's for you. I thought it was heaven breaking in for a moment. What a lovely ringtone. It's a chariots of fire moment. I'm going to start again, if you don't mind. Can we go back to verse 1? Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary or lose heart. Let's just pray. Father God, we thank you for your word and for your words of encouragement to us. And we pray tonight, just as we look at these few verses, that we will once again be molded, fashioned by your word, that we will renew um, that commitment to you. And we ask for your help in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, Lorna Shawcross, Chris is over here, her husband. Lorna is, as we speak, running, I think. And she's running from Westminster to Cheltenham. Isn't, isn't that amazing? And um, I often see Lorna as I drive back. Uh, I'm always in my car. Uh, um, I'm not the greatest runner. I get to the top of the drive and I've got a stitch. Um, but um, I see her running and running and running and in her training for these amazing races and uh, things that she's doing. In the Bible, you will know if you've read through the New Testament that the Christian life is often likened to a race. And um, in various places through Galatians, the Apostle Paul, 1 Corinthians, and uh, famously in 2 Timothy, when Paul writes about getting to the end of his life, how does he describe it? He describes it as, I have finished the race. I've fought the good fight. I've kept the faith. And now he's looking forward to all that the Lord has kept in store for him. And it seems throughout those images that we have in the New Testament of this um, race that it's not a sprint. It's not a hundred meter sprint. It's not that dash but something that is a long-distance race. The marathon is the last event in the modern Olympic Games. Um, I always knew it's 26 miles, but I didn't know it was 26 miles and 385 yards. I mean, why did they add the 385 yards? So, hmm, there you go. Or if you prefer to be in kilometers, it's 42.195 kilometers. 
And it was uh, introduced in 1896 and called the Marathon. Yet the name Marathon actually comes from somewhere way back in 490 BC when the Greeks won a mighty victory over the Persians. And uh, it's said of one of the victorious soldiers reputedly ran the 25 or 6 miles or so from a place called Marathon to Athens to announce the news that they had won. Isn't that amazing? And I grew up thinking it was a chocolate bar. <laughs> till they called it Snickers, which I was very disappointed about. But um, there you go. And now, apparently, there's over 800 marathons run around the world every year. Has uh, Lorna done a marathon? Yes. Several. I wish she'd been here tonight. I could have stepped aside and said, Lorna, come talk. The Olympics is a road race. Um, I did watch um, the Olympic marathon last time in Rio because... Uh, Obviously, I was brought up in Brazil. I know Rio a little bit. And uh, I remember talking to my dad. He was glued, glued to the Olympic Games because it was in Brazil. And, uh, you know, he just loved watching the marathon. He knew every street they were going and running through. It's a road race, but it finishes if you've ever watched the marathon. It's quite a long watch. I tend to watch the first bit and the bit in the middle and then the bit at the end. Um, but as the, as the, it's normally a road race but then they finish in the stadium. And they run that fast last lap around the stadium um, in front of all the crowds who are cheering them on. And the writer to the Hebrews here is writing to people who would have been familiar with the analogy of the games, analogy of races. He's also writing to a persecuted church under severe oppression. And chapter 12 uh, starts with that word, therefore, which you know means you've got to look back. Whenever you see the word therefore in the scriptures, you just have to look back to see why it's there for. That's actually one of my dad's jokes. It stayed with me for years. I know, Hermie's just, you know, beside herself there, but um, in honor of my dad then. So, throughout the scriptures, the Christian life is likened to this long-distance race. And as chapter 11 closes, it's closed that huge list, if you're familiar. It starts with that wonderful bit about faith. Faith is being sure of what we hope for, certain of what we do not see. And then it has a list of people of faith. And uh, as it ends, it, it turns into chapter 12, and it's almost as if the writer is saying, okay, now it's your turn to run. This is the list of heroes of faith. Therefore, since we are surrounded by them, it's our turn to run. Why well, I asked you to look at the video and look at the crowd, because um, as I watched it again this week, because I'd always been fixed on the runner. I hadn't really noticed how the crowd had responded to him. You know, as soon as he broke down, people were standing up and applauding. He got up and he continued to run the race. And he finished the race. So how are we going to run? This is our turn. 
Commitment to Christ, says Eugene Peterson in a book on discipleship, which if you've not read it, I recommend it to you. A long obedience in the same direction, not a sprint, not a fad, not a phase, but a long obedience in the same direction. And since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, that great cloud of witnesses, and those lists of those faith pioneers taken from Abel, right at the beginning, from Abel, Enoch, Noah, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, Rahab, it goes on to say that I've got no time to tell you about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and the prophets, and numerous unnamed heroes who by faith ran the race, marked out for them. Think of them. And then if you want to take it on, we can look back to New Testament saints, heroes of faith. Peter, John, Paul, the Apostles, Stephen, Barnabas. And then look through church history. Who are the heroes of faith? You know, whoever that may be for you. And then we can even turn it personal and say about our friends and our families who have gone before us in faith. Who've run the race in faith and we give thanks and, and we look at their example to us. And we know that we will meet again. Knowing that they simply just haven't disappeared. Where are they? They're with Christ. Remember the transfiguration of Jesus and, and the disciples, you know, Peter getting excited, wants to build a tent, you know. This is uh, Moses and Elijah. Where are they? They're with Jesus. Where's the thief on the cross who died next to Jesus? Well, Jesus said, today, today, you'll be with me in paradise. Where is he? He's with Jesus. Paul says to be away from the body is to be at home in the Lord. Where are they now? They're with Jesus. Not some sort of Temporary intermediate stage floating somewhere. No purgatory, a man-made idea where to put things in the in-between times. They're with Christ. And the writer of the Hebrews conjures up this image that we who are running the race now, it's our turn to run. We are surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses. And it conjures up lots of images for us. I'm not sure it's just about, well, they're just all cheering us on from the stands. Maybe so. Maybe that's true. Cheering us on to the finish line, the race that they've already run before us, that they've marked out before us. But they also act like signposts to us. Those who have lived in faith point the way. Like the cloud the Israelites followed in the desert that showed the way. No accident the writer here says it's a great cloud of witnesses. I mean, it's an unusual phrase. You don't, that cloud of people over there, you don't sort of say that. He says this is a great cloud of witnesses. And you know the writer to the Hebrews is steeped in, in the Old Testament. 
conjures up that image that these are people who have gone before us. They show us the way. And their example should stir us to follow hard on their footsteps. I'm also aware that um, following Jesus in this race is not just an individual event. Yes, we all have our individual races, we, you know, and we will face different things in our races. And we will have different lengths of our races in terms of time span of our lives. But we're in this as a team, together. The God team, cheering one another on to love and good deeds. As it says elsewhere in the book of Hebrews, don't give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but spur one another on. There's a togetherness in this. I like the image of uh, Chris Froome, or is it Chris Froome who won the, the um, uh, Tour de France on that last leg or whatever, when the whole team goes alongside him. They're, they've been in it together from the very beginning. It wasn't just about one person. He, uh, he may go at the front, but it's the whole team together. And we run as a team. That's why it's so important to be part of a church that runs together as a team in unity and in purpose together. And they are witnesses, witnesses to the effectiveness of faith and of God's faithfulness to them. And they are such an inspiration to us to keep on going, to run the race with courage. The race is too important it has eternal consequences. So what does the writer encourage us that we must do to keep running this race? Well, first of all, he says, we've got to throw off stuff. Throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. It gives this image that something that clings so tightly that impedes our movement and before we know it, we've been tripped up. Get rid of those things which literally weigh us down. It's interesting, I mean, I don't know, I've been told by people, I don't know if Lorna does this as someone who trains, but sometimes long distance runners train with weights. And they run with weights. No? Lorna doesn't do that. Okay, fair enough. To build up energy and strength. But you would never imagine them actually running the race with them. You'd never imagine Mo Farah going into a 10,000 meters with a rucksack on his back. Filled with weights. Throw off everything that hinders. And anything that trips you up. And that will be different from each one of us. I could go through a whole list of, of what things might trip us up and what things might hinder us. But actually, if you were to take a moment, maybe now, maybe later, maybe at another point, and just ask, Lord, what's, what hinders me from running this race? What trips me up again and again and again? What are the struggles? What are the things that get in the way? What causes us to trip over. Maybe temptations we fall for, maybe unhelpful habits, but it'll be only known to us and the Lord. 
But it'll also include disappointments and discouragements. Because he ends by saying, don't grow weary or lose heart. There are people who who enter the race of faith and they grow weary and they lose heart. And whether that be through pain and suffering. We're to always remember this is written to persecuted believers. They were living in a world that was in rebellion to Jesus and we do live in exactly the same place. We have an enemy who wants to trip us up, wants to hinder us, wants us to fall out of the race. So what else does he encourage us? He says to run with perseverance. That's why I think it's about this long distance thing, not about just a sprint, a dash. It's part of our faith. We need patience and perseverance. How many times do we get impatient with God when we actually realize this is, a, this is about long haul? Perseverance and endurance. And we might finish with a limp. Derek Redmond, he didn't win the race and he finished with a limp and he actually finished with his dad holding him up. But you know what? He finished. He crossed the line. One of the heroes of faith, Jacob, had a limp as well. You might remember that story. I know personally of folk who have got started in the race, but at some point have left the race. Got hurt, gave up, pulled out. Some I know started with a real sprint. It was just, it was so full on, but it didn't last. I want to say that there is a difference in giving up on Christ and giving up on church attendance. The race is about following Jesus. Others have run in a different direction. I was so saddened to hear about Jonathan Edwards, who was, you know, the great triple jumper, still holds the world record for the triple jump. Was very open about his faith in the early years and now would say he has no faith at all. He doesn't believe in God at all. Publicly, openly confesses that. It's not the end though. It's not the end yet. What I'm trying to say here is it's not about how we start. Because we all start in different ways, at different times. I meet people who have come to faith in later years and say, Oh, I wish I'd been a Christian when I was 17 or whatever. We all start in different times. It's not about when we start, but we want to cross the line, finish the race. That's been marked out for us. 
So how can we stay focused? Running in the same direction. The writer gives us the answer. It's simple yet profound. There's no mystery to it. By fixing our eyes on Jesus. Oh, come on, Phil, say something more profound about it. Fix your eyes on Jesus, says the author here. Notice he doesn't say fix your eyes on the witnesses. Fix your eyes on other believers. No. Because however wonderful they may be, they're imperfect and flawed just as I am and you are and occasionally they might let us down and we might let them down and if they're the benchmark then we get disillusioned but actually it's fixing our eyes on Jesus the one who is at the center of the great cloud of witnesses the one on whom their eyes are fixed and the one whom we can imagine is waiting for us at the finish line Imagine that, Jesus waiting for us, waiting for you, waiting for me at the finish line. Just, ah, come on. Welcome home. Good, faithful servant. So we're not to take our eyes off him. Because the writer knows that if we do, that's when we lose our direction. And he describes Jesus as the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. He is the one who has also run the race, known our human experience, tempted in every way, yet was without sin. And if you think of the race set before him, before Jesus, bearing the weight of the sin of the world upon his shoulders, bearing the weight of our shame and the pain of the cross, Consider him who endured all that for us. He is our champion, the beginner and finisher of our faith, the author and perfecter, and he accomplished in full all that was needed for a new covenant, for our salvation. We began with that reading from Hebrews chapter 1. When he had made purification for sin, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. When he had died for our sins, he sat down. He has cleared the way. All the roadblocks moved. Notice the writer says that he scorned the shame of the cross. Scorned it. Treated the pain and shame as something of little value, no significance. It's when you scorn something, isn't it? It's of little value, of no significance. You scorn it. But the writer here says he scorned the shame of the cross. The cross reserved for the lowest of the low, the criminals, the slaves. It involved torture and humiliation, yet Jesus endured the cross because of the joy set before him. What was the joy set before Jesus? 
we get a clue when he says from the cross, it's finished. Nothing more is necessary. Nothing more is needed. You can't add to what I have done. I have done it all for you. It's done. Salvation is complete. The joy set before him, reunion with his father. You know, in John's gospel where he says, glorify me, father, with the glory I had with you before the beginning of the world. And it conjures up this image that we can't really comprehend of Jesus before the beginning of the world with the father and the Holy Spirit. What did he look like? What was it like? Because when he ascends back into heaven, he carries the marks of his human nature. He keeps it. Didn't have that before. And the glory he had before the world began. And then there's the new creation. And Jesus comes again and makes all things new. For the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame. So fix your eyes on Jesus, says the writer written to a persecuted church. To view our temporary suffering as just that. Temporary. And there is joy that is to come. So he says, don't grow weary, don't lose heart, don't give up, keep on running. Run to him, run for him, run because of him. But keep your eyes fixed on him. This is our time to run. Should we pray together? Just want to be still, quiet for a moment. Just take in these words.